to you, we want to study from about the 15th verse down to the end. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise God. And hear anything. Jack, you got me turned on. There we are. There we are. Thank you, Jack, for turning me on. He's in a good position. He can turn me off when he gets ready. Some of you guys are not quite so lucky, are you? <clears throat> the Apostle Paul had just spoke to Timothy in the earlier part of this chapter concerning the path of a good soldier in a time of apostasy or falling away and uh, what would be expected of a good soldier and how being a good soldier that we'd, we would persist. But we want to pick up about the 15th verse and uh, read down to it, including the last verse and focus our attention perhaps on the last verse. But he gives some very worthwhile things here that I dare not omit and I think would be good for our consideration even though we read them time and time again starts off like this study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth but shun profane and vain babblings or in other words ungodly and empty uh, babblings for they will increase into more ungodliness and their word will eat as doth a canker. And then he gives some examples of somebody's words. Regardless of how preposterous it seems that they were spreading a rumor that the resurrection had passed already, but still it began to eat into the hearts of some individuals. He said, Their word doth, will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hamenius and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, that is in spite of men like this and in spite of their erroneous doctrines and in spite of their words that eats within their, their way into hearts and minds, nevertheless, Paul tells Timothy, that doesn't change anything. The foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. In other words, he's saying in the great building of God, the house of God, that which he's trying to place together, <clears throat> there's not only vessels that have been purified and made white, but also some of wood and of earth, and some that will be easily be destroyed, and some are to honor, and some, of course, to dishonor. And if a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel, or from the latter portions, from wood and earth, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared 
unto every good work. And he gives him some advice because Timothy was a young man. He says, flee also youthful lust. In other words, things that look good to youth, that, that appeal to youth, that won't appeal to you a little bit later as you grow older. Uh, but he's talking to Timothy in the days of his youth, warning him against certain things that appeal to the eye of a young individual. And he says, flee those things. In other words, run away from them, not run into them, but run away from them. But follow peace, or follow righteousness, faith, charity, or love, and peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. Real good piece of advice there, because the world is filled with individuals that when you begin to talk to them about some truth of God's word, then they'll ask some foolish question or something to get your mind off of the reality of it. And Paul tells Timothy, now, you don't pay any attention to stuff like that. It just only genders strife or causes debate and argument, and nobody ever changes their mind. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach and patient. Now, of course, it says servant of the Lord, and that includes everyone that's enlisted in God's army. Servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, and patient. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God preadventure pre will give them repentance unto the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive at his will. I'm going to ask Brother Bud, if he would, to stand and ask you to bow your head. Ask him to bless the reading of God's word, the anointing of our minds. Only the pure thoughts out of the heart of God can be brought to light this night. The Apostle Paul, of course, wasn't through with his instruction. It goes on and on through this book, but he starts the chapter 3 with, Know this also, then in the last days peerless times will come. And then he begins to reiterate to us, to Timothy, and of course written down some of the things that will be during those peerless times. And of course, almost everything that he wrote about has uh, made its approach into the hearts of humanity, especially over the past few years. But reading that and in studying Timothy, sometimes uh, I think I've studied just about all that there is to study in it and yet God's attention is drawn again and I take it chapter by chapter and sometimes verse by verse. And when I do that sometimes, something just jumps out that you've never really looked at before, waves a flag and says, stop here and let's uh, uh, inquire a few minutes and see what God is trying to say to us. And after admonishing Timothy to be gentle and apt to teach and patient and in meekness instructing those who oppose themselves, and of course 
He was writing to a church. He wasn't talking about sinners who opposed themselves. Talking about possibly every one of us at some time or other that is actually opposing ourselves. If you can realize what that means, I'm sure most of us can. And says, if God preventure would give them repentance to the knowledge of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. And I would like for us to look closely at this and realize some way what the Apostle Paul is trying to relate to every one of us tonight. All of these things he said beforehand is necessary, and then he ends the chapter because of the necessity of everything that he has said from chapter 2 on down and inclusive of the last verse. And all of this that was said in every other verse is climaxed and the reasons given for it, in the last verse it says that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. I looked at that and I thought, that seems like a strange statement coming from the Apostle Paul and saying that this could possibly happen not only to some but probably in somebody's Christian experience in a lifetime, to every one of us, and we would seem to be in a position, even though being Christians, that the devil could take us captive whenever he gets ready. Now I'd like for you to stop and think on that just a few minutes. And that is actually what the Apostle Paul is saying. Now the Amplified Version tries to change it, and uh, another version tries to change it, but... Take my word for it, it stands like it is in the original. It means just what it says, that there has to be prayer, there has to be instructions to many of us almost, almost sometime in our Christian experience that we might be able to recover ourselves out of the snare of the devil that are taken captive at his will. When he desires and decides that he wants to take us captive, it seems like the Apostle Paul is saying he can. Now that's a fearful thing to me, and I had to look at it a while. And I thought, well, there's captives, uh, you know, the uh, captives taken uh, during war. And perhaps this is what he's talking about. We're enlisted in God's army, and sometimes we're taken captive by the enemy as, one, as a soldier. But then a closer look at the word captive comes from Greek kaper, C-A-P-E-R-E, and simply means one who is enslaved, taken and enslaved by the passions of human nature. And Paul is saying here that they are taken captive or enslaved by the devil through the passions of our human nature. It's impossible to name all the passions that come from humanity. A few, I suppose, would suffice, like uh, complacency. We first thing we want to do is get into the big things like uh, anger and hatred and malice and all of this, and these are passions of human nature. We can't escape that. But also in there is complacency, a place where we just complacent about what happens. Also, there's idleness. Well, we just said idle. The devil takes us by passion of human nature to be a little bit lazy. 
just takes us captive in that until we're uh, just idle, doing nothing for the kingdom and cause of God or ourselves. And we can even be taken captive by the passions of love. The Bible says lovers of pleasure. goes on to say this, I believe in the next chapter, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. So actually what Paul is saying is in the realm of Christian living, if we are not very, very careful and spiritually filled at all times, the powers of hell can appeal to human nature through one of these passions and take us captive by that whenever he so desires. And when I thought of that and God began to speak to me on that, a chill run up and down my spine about twice. And I thought, God, I don't guess I really ever fully realized how dependent I am on you and on the Holy Ghost. And wouldn't you think it would be good tonight if we'd recognize that dependence? We want to enlarge upon this if we can at all. There's a lesson in it that Satan appeals to these traits of human nature and Paul says in his will why he takes captive. In other words, he enslaves us by one or many of those passions. He confines us Oh, we're confined in such a small area when he takes his captive in that. We're imprisoned and we're subjected to him. This is what makes me angry. Hallelujah. To realize that there are times when he wants to, he, he can subject me to him. And I, realizing I have nothing within myself to resist him, it has to come from my God which dwells within me and for his love and his compassion I could never and neither can you attain a state where the devil cannot appeal to these passions and we resisting as best we can now, I realize this might be alien and foreign but I think if you'll stay with me I'll prove it to you even at the best we can the greatest power we have we have no power of resistance in this area. Why does this happen? Now, the limitations of Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, names two reasons. And probably both of them lumped together, does it? He sums it up in the first chapter concerning Judah and all his captivity, and sums it up like this, said Judah is in captivity because of her transgressions. Because of her transgressions. Then Lamentations 2 and 14 goes on to say, The prophets have seen vain and foolish things for thee, and they have not discovered thine iniquities to turn away thy captivities. In other words, he has a basis of saying to Christianity or layman, Many times we are in captivity through the passions of this thing. And by the, word, by the way, it's the same word. Simply because of our waywardness, of our transgressions, of our walking contrary to what God desires many times. In walking contrary, we get out from under the holy presence of God and then Satan appeals to some passion. A passion maybe that is our weakness. Maybe your human nature doesn't Exhibit a passion like mine. But the devil, mark my word, 
knows the weakness of every individual that's here. He knows right where to strike. Funny part of it is he knows when. And then he says also you can put it on the prophets and upon the ministers because they've seen vain and foolish things for you. They prophesy good things when evil is present. They don't seem to see your iniquities and discover them and tell you where they're at. And once doing this, they could turn away your captivity in these areas. I realize he was talking about captivity of nations, but that's usually as captivity of the human mind. Let's enlarge a little bit more on that. The Apostle Paul says in Romans, somewhere about the seventh chapter, when he went through all that rigmarole, you remember the things I once uh, did, uh, the once loved I hate, and the things I once hated I loved, and on and on he went. And after he finished that, the Apostle Paul was having a battle. And after he finished that, here's his words. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Paul was saying, now don't make any mistake about it. I love God's laws. I love his teachings. You don't misunderstand that. I love the law of God after the inward man, the cleansing of it, the loveliness of it, the peace of it, the things that God's law brings. Paul says, I love that. And there's not an individual here and there's no in Christ but what can say the same thing. We love God's law after the inward man. And we're easy to admit that. But the Apostle Paul says, now wait a minute now. I see another law in my members. Amen. Paul said, now I love the law after the inward man I have learned to appreciate it, but I'm not blind. I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. All right? His mind was to do what? The perfect will of God, the law of God. It was in his mind and in his heart to do that. And Paul said, but I see another law that's warring against this mind of mine. And what does that law do? And bringing me unto captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. In other words, Paul said, having loved his law, having loved his presence, having loved the food that is on the table, and desiring what is good for me, and I have it in my mind to serve him and to love him, there is another law. A law that came in the same time Adam and Eve sinned and is still incarnate in human flesh has never left any of us. And that law is continually warring against our mind which is desirous to do right, bringing it into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Now Paul says these words, Oh, wretched man that I am. Hallelujah. Now, I, I think if we just stop long enough, all of us could be acquainted with a miserable confusion that the Apostle Paul was presenting here. And he's saying, it is a wretched thing. It is a miserable thing to want to do what is right. And yet finding a law in there that overrules you because of the innate characters of Adam that dwells within you. Those things that can take us captive, those human passions, at the devil's will. 
And he says, Who shall deliver me from this body of death? Now Paul could have very easily said, above all of us, I'm pretty intellectual. I'm pretty Bible read and I'm pretty smart. And I have had revelations that no other man or woman on this earth has ever had. Those revelations can deliver me. My intellect can deliver me. Oh, I'm staunch and sturdy. My own power and my own will can deliver me. But yet his final analysis of what he was trying to say and ask the question, he had to finally come down and say what every one of us had better say, I thank God the only deliverance there is is through Jesus Christ my Lord. He alone has the power within us, placed within there. Not by might, by power, by power, but by my spirit, say He alone has the power to be able to help us and raise us over these things that the devil is able to take us captive at his will. I could go some of the greatest schools and greatest seminaries there is and never find enough knowledge, human knowledge, to be able to deliver me from these things. And so can you. I can study, and I can pray, and I, I can get smart, and I, I, I can intercede in prayer. And when everything is said and done, and it has to be summed up, my final analysis has to be this, is the Apostle Paul. I love the laws of God. I would love to do them all the time. And I must not forget that inside of me is something that don't want to be obedient to them. And it overrules my mind. And I'm wretched and I'm miserable. And Paul said there is deliverance through Jesus Christ my Lord and through none other. What a revelation. What a startling thing to deliver unto all humanity. How wonderful and how good it would be rather than to deny that these things are there. Rather than to deny our own feelings. Or rather than to let the devil put us down for them. How wonderful it would be for us just to recognize that until we have reached the very apex of perfection, that Satan is going to be able to appeal to us through human passions and human nature. And there is no escape from that, only of falling down and calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for deliverance. And brother, deliverance not only can, but it will come. Paul said, I can't thank anybody else. Talking to the Romans, said there was one time I was confused, I was as troubled as you are. And he made no false claim. Paul always laid it on the line right like it was. And made no false claims. Never denied a thing that came his way. And rather accepted it. And was willing to say, I am made a fool for Christ's sake. For Christ's sake. Was willing to accept the war that goes on inside. Knew and as long as he was in this body, that war would go on. Knew that even though implanted within him, 
that in his very being was a man to be pleasing to God in all times. How many of us have really come to the gateway of all of this and recognized in our heart God and confessed, I'd like to be a potter. I'd like to be clay in the hands of a potter. I'd like for you to make me what I ought to be. I want to be what you want me to be and make a commitment in a sense that we are going to follow His will and His way only to just find a few hours from now, a few days, maybe a few weeks, that these passions come, we're overcome by them, and inside of us we so desire to do good that there is something inside that is overruling even our own thoughts. And oftentimes too late and sometimes too little, we have to cry as the Apostle Paul says, Who is going to deliver me? from this body of death. Now I realize a lot of interpretations is put on there. Who's going to get me out of this body and put me in a new one? And probably that may be the finale, grand finale that he wants. And the Apostle Paul is saying these words, Who is going to deliver me and help me and keep me from being taken captive at the will of Satan? Paul said, I'm miserable. Hallelujah. I'm miserable. In St. Luke, somewhere about the fourth chapter, we re read this before, Jesus strolling into the synagogue, coming back, a uh, hometown boy made good, asked him to speak in the synagogue, handing him the scroll, and he unrolled that scroll to a verse in Isaiah, and uh, very plainly said, that one of the reasons that he was sent to earth and one of the primary reasons that he came, and one of the primary reasons that he suffered, and he bled and died and rose again, was simply this, to preach deliverance. Deliverance to those captives, or those taken captive at the will of the devil. In other words, not only to preach deliverance to us as sinners, but preach continued deliverance to us as Christians every hour and every day of our lives. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord God, the deliverer of all Israel. Hallelujah. Who reigns supreme who none is like him, no, not one. Therefore glorify your God which is in heaven and in the earth and dwelling within you. Hallelujah. 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 Glory. Praise the Lord. Brother Wiggy, you awake? Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. I told Brother Wiggy before church, he's in the office, I said to get out there and take your nap now so you won't go to sleep while I'm preaching. Praise the Lord. If I can't pick on anybody, I'll just get wig. He'll take it. Praise the Lord. To preach deliverance to the captives. In other words, Jesus is saying to them one of the primary reasons that I'm here is to proclaim to you and to the world that you don't have to be in bondage anymore. 
Hallelujah. To tell us that servitude and subjection to the devil at just any time he so desires has been swallowed up in victory. We can, he says, because of him be free in this world today of the contamination of sin and of destruction. Hallelujah. Free from the passions of this Adamic nature. Made free by the death, burial, and resurrection. All this cry of the Apostle Paul. I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord. It's only in there is. Ephesians 4.8. A little familiar scripture, but took on an added dimension when the Spirit prompted me to add it to this little lesson. It says, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, I'm just going to quote the part that I need to use, he led captivity captive. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> he led captivity captive. And this has reference. And I thought I'd shout, and I might again, so hold on to your seats. I just almost feel it coming on. I thought I'd shout, and if I hadn't been in such a hurry and behind, I probably would have taken time to shout. But actually what this alludes to and have reference to is a procession of triumph, a parade celebrating a victory in which those that have been freed from captivity place the most prominent part of all. They are taken and placed in a parade and paraded right in the very face of that one or ones that held them captive to show, thank God, that they have been released by the power of the living God. Hallelujah, I believe he wants to do us that away tonight. It's parade us right in the face of the devil and show him that God has released us. Hallelujah, through his blood and through his power. Right in his face. Thank God takes those that's been redeemed and released from this and marches them right in the devil's face and say, this is what you had one time and look what I've got now. Oh, thank God. Oh, thank God. Look what they are now. Glory. Glory. Thank God I ain't got enough cord have I? Praise God. Tied up. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. That's what you call just rubbing it in. What's given to the devil when Adam fell. He owns every passion that you have. Whether it's idleness or complacency. Or whether it's anger or hostility. Or whether it's bitterness. Or whatever it might be. Whatever the passions of human flesh is. The devil owns that. And he can captivate on it at his will. And there is but one source. And one source alone. And that is simply because the power of God has taken us. And we have had ourselves revealed unto them. And he has rescued us. And he's not only taken us from what we were. Not only from a sinner. And as a growing Christian. Not only has he freed us from this and taken us from the devil. And then he just gets us all in a big parade. And he marches down Main Street of the devil's empire, of the world. <laughs> and he says, look what you had one time, and look what you did with it, and look what I have now, and what I am going to do with it. Hallelujah. He led captivity. He led. You understand that? He led it. 
of God, he led the parade. He was the head of it, thank God. And you will follow us where we can be if we're not right in the face of the devil. And he just has to look on and say, well, I did my best to claim them through flesh. And they recognize, they recognize something I tried to hide from them for all these years. They recognized and they had no power to resist me. And they quit trying to fight me on their own. And they went to the only one that is higher than I. Thank God, the only one, the rock that is higher than I and any of us. And they went to them, went to him, and there he delivered them. Thank God. Delivered is delivering and will deliver. Hallelujah. Glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Each day come up somebody on our side. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's take a little time to worship Him. Praise be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise be the name of the Lord. Praise be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Bless His name. Bless His name. Bless His sweet name. Thank God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory. Glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. You didn't disturb me. You just gave me rest. <laughs> Praise God. Shout some more while I breathe. <laughs> Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. See how obedient my wife is? She just shouts when I tell her to. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Paul still says, I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord. It's the only satisfaction I have. It's the only remedy I have. It's the only way I can ever end this thing. It's through Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Hallelujah. Look here, devil. What's coming by tonight? Hallelujah. Look here, devil. What's coming by tonight? Praise God. Hallelujah. In Job, there is a lot of hidden mysteries there, yet to be understood and found out. One of the oldest books there is in the Bible has just had surface attention. But inside there are depth that God is trying to speak even to our generation. Some thousands of years have passed since then. And God spent several chapters, about 42 or 43, I forget exactly just how many, in uh, Job, explaining some of the situations of Job. Now, we're acquainted, of course, with uh, God turning Job over to the devil, and we're never right real sure why he did. Most of the time we said, well, it was to test him, to try him, but test him and try him from what is the question. And I think we look right real close 
Contrary even to popular opinion, there was a need in Job's life. Now ending this up, Jehovah was speaking of the many attributes or the traits of a creature that was called Leviathan. And he ended chapter 41 with verse 43 that says, He beholdeth all high things. Talking about this creature called Leviathan. He beholdeth all high things. He is a king. A host captive, or bringer into captivity over all of the children of pride. Now, regardless of everything that had been spoken by Job's so-called friends, much of it was the truth. Amen. I said much of it that they were saying was the truth. Some of it, of course, was not. It was a method they produced it in, of course, that made it wrong. But only then, after all this trying, did Job get the message. And uh, the message simply was this. The reasons for Job's afflictions. It was very evident that Job was no hypocrite. He was what he was. It's also very evident that Job was a godly and upright man whose right desires wanted to do the right thing and probably in every aspect did. And Job possessed something many of us do not. He possessed the faith in his God that all of his afflictions could not shake. In other words, whatever God placed on him or allowed the devil to place upon him never moved the faith of our man Job one iota. He still held it as fast as he ever did. But there are some things that we need to take note of. Why was that chapter written preceding this? Why did he go to explain all the things about that creature and then goes to say that he is the king over all those that are proud? Unless he was trying to get a message to Job, and in spite of all of these other things, Job was self-righteous. In spite of all these other things, Job lacked humility. And then it goes on to say some of the things that God said to him, pointed out to him what this creature stood for and who he was. And Job finally said, I've heard a lot about you, but now I see you. Now what was he talking about? God did not appear to Job any more than that he ever did. What was he talking about? He said, I have finally come to the realization that I don't just hear about you, but I have seen you in so much that you have revealed to me what is wrong in my soul. And Job goes on to say, I abhor myself. Never before had Job ever said that. I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. And now tell me, what does a righteous man have to repent of? What does a God, or a man that believed in God as much as Job did, what did he have to repent of? The very thing that they was trying to tell us about in that preceding chapter of his pride. Sometimes this is the last passion that leaves. And that is the last thing that we will finally give to God where Satan can't take us captive whenever he gets ready is our pride. Now we use it a lot of times, but we ought to be ashamed of ourselves by, by doing this. A lot of times we use our pride to, for not doing things and we blame it on God. We say, well, I, I don't want to uh, make a reproach on God. And all the time inside we're thinking, well, what 
if I fail in this? Now, who are we thinking about, God or us? Us, aren't we? Us. And Job says, I finally see. I see you for who you are. And I abhor myself. I think that's what Paul finally come down to say is, is that I I'd simply hate myself. And sometimes I look in the mirror and I can't even stand what I see. Because I look at it sometimes the way God looks at it. And I have to come to the conclusion that I abhor myself for what I am, what I was doing, and repent in dust and in ashes. And I like this as we try to wind this up. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job. I like that. We always, always say that. Oh, after it was all over and after the devil tested old Job and he came out pure white, and after all of this, why, uh, he turned again his captivity and he gave him twice as much as he ever had. And we fail at one fine important point as to why the captivity of Job was turned. What was holding Job captive? It was his human passion of pride that kept him captive, that kept him from being what God wanted him to be. And notice what he says. The captivity of Job was turned when he prayed for his friends. Amen. That's a law that Jesus himself embraced when he said, Pray for those which despitefully use you. Now, that has a different connotation on it than most of us realize. Despite from the Greek word eparazo simply means those who accuse or revile you in some manner. And Jesus is saying, pray for him. Because if that released Job from his captivity, it will release us also. But I want you to notice that and look at it and read it. God turned Job's captivity when, not when he withered the storm and passed the test, but when he prayed for his friends. When pride somewhere or somehow was broken and Job got down on his face and was able to pray for those friends who came and used him and accused him and reviled him. And in spite of it, Job had to come. You ought to see some of the answers, curt answers, that Job gives his accusers completely against what Jesus embraced. And after it was all said and done, in spite of the justness of his accusers, or the justness of Job, for that matter, it didn't matter at all who was just or unjust. The commandment was to pray for those who use you despitefully are those who accuse or revile you. And notice it wasn't until then that that only thing that was left in Job that the devil could appeal to was finally taken charge of. And it said, and also, after this, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Hallelujah, the chains fell off. The shackles were broken. At last, Job was free from that innate characteristic. And in spite 
of all his good attributes still held him captive. Finally, Job had submitted this one last thing into the hands of God and his captivity was turned. Hallelujah. And get this. In order to bring Job where God needed him to be, he had to turn him over to Satan to get the job done. Amen. He had to say, Satan, here he is. And that's just how God uses Satan. <laughs> I like that. Just whenever God gets ready to use him, he'll just use him. And he says, Satan, there he is. And I realize everything he's got. But when you get through with him, he's going to be a better man than he was when I gave him to you. Hallelujah. Perhaps that's why afflictions come our way. Perhaps that's why sicknesses plague us. Diseases run rampant in the house of God because God loves us enough to remove every human appetite one way or the other. Now God would rather any time he would rather for you and I to be submissive to him and sensitive to him and follow after him where it wouldn't take these afflictions or something to lay you flat on your back till he could get your attention and make you realize like Job realized that after all he had been just a little bit self-righteous. He had put himself up higher and above his friends, even the one that had come in contact with spiritual beings. And he lacked humility enough to realize that he was no match for that power that was ruling him. And finally he said, I abhor myself. I hate myself. <laughs> and then he kneels down. says, God, help those friends. Tormentors? Maybe. But all at the same time, there was God moving in that life. You couldn't see him. But he was there. God loves us just that much that if it takes us and takes it he'll place us right square dab in the hands of the devil and say there they are work them over or you say well yeah God had confidence in Job yes he did he sure did he had confidence that before it was all over these scales on old Job's pride his eyes he's going to be falling off and Job could see all the time where he stood. Maybe it'd be good sometimes if we through our afflictions find the humility that God would like for us to have. And realize as we read one more time and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil or are taken captive by him at his will. There's no way that the devil has any hold on any of us only through Adamic nature. He owns all of it. Thank God through Jesus Christ. Let's let him tonight 
leading captivity captive. <laughs> Put us on display right in the front of the devil. Hallelujah. Let's stand and let him do that. Let's let him parade us right in his face and say, look what I have delivered. Thank God, look what I have delivered. Look what I have done, devil. Thank God. Blessed be the name of the Lord, child of Israel. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Let's come on in. Let's gather in at the altar. And while you're coming, just give vent and praise. We, we don't have to be told to praise God. We know how to praise Him. We also need to recognize that there is something walking around this building tonight. Thank God. Something, thank God, that is motivating us and moving us, desiring to anyway, change the plan. Thank God in the pattern. Let's worship Him one more time, what He's saying.